Today's program is brought to you by the Dairy Farm Families of Wisconsin, the Wisconsin Milk Marketing Board. Did you know that today Wisconsin produces more than 600 varieties, types, and styles of American, international style, and original cheese that win more awards than any other state or country? To learn more, visit eatwisconsincheese.com. Thank you for listening to Heritage Radio Network. We are a member-supported, nonprofit food radio station. That means that every single thing we do, from broadcasting 35 weekly shows for free to bringing you exclusive content from sold-out food events across the country to offering scholarships to high school students, is only possible thanks to the support of our loyal members. And we want you to join the club. Become a member during our 2017 Summer Drive to get access to sweet swag and pledge your support to the world's only food radio station. Visit heritageradionetwork.org slash donate to become a member now. Hello and welcome to Cutting the Curd, broadcasting on the Heritage Radio Network. This is Greg Blaze, and I'm here with co-host for the day, Patricia Katowska. Who's hi. A, hi there, Patricia, who's a cheese and salumi buyer at Italy. I'm here. I'm super glad you're here with us today at Roberta's and yeah. out of the office. I'm so glad to be here. <laughs> We're joined today by Alex Brown, general manager and cheesemonger for Gourmet Imports in Los Angeles, who's in town for the Fancy Food Show. Thanks for making the trek out to Bushwick with us. Oh, I'm very excited to be here. It's awesome. How are you enjoying your time in uh, New York so far? It is, in a word, very moist. Moist. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Kind of damp. Absolutely. And sticky. Yeah, we have, a, we have a dry heat where I come from. Yeah, where are you from? Uh, well, I live in Los Angeles, but I grew up in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Oh, so sure. Very, very much a desert boy. Nice, nice. Yeah. I was just re-watching uh, Breaking Bad, you know? Good stuff. A lot of whenever I want to feel good about myself, you know, I, I watch uh, some Breaking Bad, and it you know makes me feel like at least I'm not a meth dealer. You know what I mean? They get a lot right in that show. Yeah, they do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so I wanted to ask you um, about uh, cheesemongering and cheese culture in general. Uh, what have you seen as the main difference between the East and West Coast in terms of the culture, the counterculture, and just the cheese in general? Good question. Um, I mean, I think all of it could be summed up by just looking at it from the perspective of time. Um, obviously, like cities like New York, um, you have m- a much higher concentration of independent cheese counters, uh, cheese importers, cheese producers in the state. Um, and in a lot of ways, uh, Los Angeles has been growing up for much longer. Um, so, like, when I started working in cheese about 13 years ago, I mean, there were maybe like four cheese yeah. counters in uh, in Los Angeles, and now it's closer to like 12, and it's it continues to grow. Same thing in San Francisco, although I feel like San Francisco follows. They were a little different. More. Yeah. When I, I was out there for a little bit of time, uh, 07 and 08, in L.A., there was... There was Beverly Hills Cheese Shop and Andrew's Cheese Shop, mm-hmm. and I think DTLA had just started up around that time, and that was about it. 
yeah. for, for in terms of who I sold to down there. But in San Fran, they had a healthier or a different a different kind of uh, of cheese culture. Yeah, just much more established. And I think that I mean because of that. You know, the the culture between the mongers and between businesses is much stronger. And I think that we're all enjoying a much more collaborative kind of air, you know, and that's really, really positive and special. Um, and with production, I mean, same sort of thing. Like, I think that there's there have been cheesemakers in California for a long time. Yeah. But um, the variety and uh, and the quality uh, of what they're putting out is changing very quickly. I also found the distribution to be. I am from New England. Everything's small. You know, you can throw a rock from one end of the Massachusetts to the other. Mm -hmm. And, you know, California, especially, you know, L.A., San Fran are totally different. And there's it's hard to get cheese from the north to the south or it was when I was working there. Oh, totally. I mean, in the when I started, um, you know, being more involved in in purchasing and things at the company that I work for. Because I didn't come from cheese, I came from from kitchens. Uh-huh. Um, you know, the joke used to be, man, I can get a pallet from New Jersey cheaper than I get a pallet totally. from uh, from the Bay Area. Yeah. Um, and it it remains that way in different parts of the country too that just don't have the same supply lines established. But um, yeah, distance makes a big difference. Huge, and, and it more and more so when it comes to you know if milk is traveling to be making right. the cheese, which is a great uh, mystery of. Um, California. Oh, it's a mystery. <laughs> when you worked, uh, Patricia, for, uh, for Atalanta, you were sending, uh, they had a warehouse out there when, yeah, when you worked for them. When did you work for Atalanta? Um, I started there in 2008, and so I did two internships there um, up until 2010. And yeah, they've, they're pretty well established in Los Angeles. They're actually, um, they have many sales reps out there, and they, you know, sell all the wonderful gourmet imports from Italy and France and England and they they're pretty they're pretty great to work with out there from what I've heard cool people you know I think there's this idea of uh of LA specifically being all about vegan food and uh going for food trends like you know gluten-free and uh, what are your what are your thoughts on that is that a myth or is that the reality of the situation because I'm going out there to help make a cheese counter and these people have to eat Milk, absolutely. Oh yeah, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> there's definitely uh, there's definitely all of those cultures are uh-huh. knit into one. But it's not, you know, in a funny way of uh, of kicking it back. It's like in a, a more kind of a, clearly a much more established cheese community, like in New York. Sure, I've heard of you know both mongers and producers being like, "Ooh, yeah, like I'm not going to be able to sell these Welsh ranch cheeses in the summer," and hilariously in Los Angeles. Because we don't have seasons, period. Right? right? <laughs> people are people are buying washed dry and cheeses no matter what time of the year it is. We don't have that kind of specificity of flow. But yeah, of course, there is also a one hundred percent vegan cheese shop in Los Angeles, Whoa. which is uh, very very interesting. The man behind it is very charismatic. The product is is weird and kind of gross. What's well, nut cheese? It's all nut cheese, but it, it's I'm fine with nut cheese in the spread sense. But when you're attempting making, doing che- like traditional cheese making techniques sure. with nut cheese, it gets a little weird. Like spraying mold on like you know pureed on nuts? nuts. I don't know. Yeah, I don't nut know. cheese. I don't know. It's it's just 
I feel weird saying it. You should. Would you like to buy some of my nut cheese? Uh, no. Maybe. Well, uh, <laughs> nice. That's great. But the city's changed a lot. I mean, the the and the food culture too. And there's a there's a funny way that, you know, along with like people moving to Los Angeles from places like New York, places like San Francisco. Uh, to find more affordable housing. Sure. There's also like tons of restaurants that are coming. Like Jean Georges just opened up a place right. in Beverly Hills. Crazy. You know, you guys are coming out. Oh, we are. I think there's, because there's been this this long evolution, I think, of the food culture in LA, as, as you would know it in other cities, there's now all this crazy opportunity. Which isn't to say that the people that are living there aren't doing a good job, but oh, no. there's there's a lot of space to be filled. I think a lot of people are seeing that and, and moving accordingly. Um, yeah. I, I'm always of the mindset that you shouldn't... You want to be a part of what already exists, mm-hmm. but I'm I'm never afraid to challenge the established order of what people eat in terms of cheese and salumi. My my whole life, I've been trying to convince people to eat spoiled milk. You know things that smell to them horribly. You know they're odd looking. The texture is not familiar to them. So I'm okay with it. Totally. It you know it just it doesn't. It doesn't scare me, but you want to find that balance between what you want to make people feel comfortable and like you're not a UFO that's landed, you know, in their territory and just sort of, you know, pushing our alien philosophy and food on them. But by the same token, I'd like I'd like to be able to change people's minds about things like that. Totally. Well, I think now, you know, 2017 and beyond is a. Uh is a great time to to come to the city and people are really voracious now for not only like new things but also all the information like i really feel that people are hungry to know not just like what it is but like where it comes from and how it's made um and an adage that like i've always had with i mean most of my customers are, are chefs right sure um but you have to think about your customers like goldfish you keep a goldfish in a small bowl, it stays small. You put them in a bigger tank, it gets bigger. Right. So we have to always be pushing our boundaries. I we agree. have to always be teaching people about, well, maybe that cheese might scare the hell out of you, but just put it in your mouth and it'll be fine. <laughs> Do you think that the reasons why people are more interested in that is simply because the information is more available to them? Is it a fear based thing or is it? a healthy sort of curiosity about where their food comes from. I mean, I think all of the above. I think there's there's definitely much more um, education happening in uh, in both mass and, I guess, slightly less mass media, whatever we call that. Um, you know, Michael Pollan, people that are, like, you know, writing about food and sure. writing about how, you know, things like cheese, like, are actually, it's more like medicine than something that's going to put you in the grave. Totally. Um, but then there's also the the thing that, I mean, I personally love to to uh, talk shit about. Oh, sorry. For what? You bleep? Is that no. okay? Okay. Say whatever the hell you want. Oh, perfect. <laughs> I love to talk shit about food television, but at the same time, food television 
has totally captivated Americans and made everybody care so much more, I think, about I food. agree. Yeah. So in the beginning, it was easy to snark out and be like, wah, 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 this isn't real. But now I think it's really contributed to everybody supporting what we do and what we need to do for our producers. So. Agreed. And if LA is like a big like media city as it is, right. you know, um, then all the more reason why now it's becoming much more of a food city. Food TV is an interesting. Uh, it's an interesting thing. Back when I was a, a kid, I used to watch Julia Child. Me too. And uh, and that inspired me totally. quite a bit. Uh, I used to watch uh, Walk with Jan and uh, um, the the two large. They were, I think it was called like the two fat ladies or two fat. They were these. <laughs> there were some that. crazy PBS food frugal gourmet. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And and that was really helpful. And then I we went through this uh, food network. Uh, used used to be uh, Good Eats mm-hmm. and Molto Mario. These kind of things. And then we were obsessed with, and we still are with reality. So I think for the you know food TV became about. Watching people competition, yeah, yeah, which wasn't so much wasn't as interesting to me. No, but now I I think we're swinging back the other way. I've often been approached, or people have have talked about why don't why isn't there a a, a cheese based food program on television? But I also I often found like it doesn't. Cheese is so sensory, yeah. and so it would be hard to translate. It would be the travel aspect would be great because that's what everybody wants. They want to know where do we get the good stuff. Mm-hmm. You know? so that would work well. But yeah. you can't scratch and sniff your TV <laughs> yet. And also, it would be weird watching a show watching people basically do dishes all day. Sure. Yeah. Oh, Which is yeah. what cheese making really is. Totally. Yeah. doing dishes. Yeah. A lot of cleaning, a lot of paperwork. Yeah. But, I mean, and that's, I think it's also a, a precious part of what we do still, that what we do is secret in this way, right? Mm-hmm. I think that there's... Absolutely. And I, and I know that you guys feel the same way and this happens, but, like, whenever you tell somebody that you work in cheese, like, there's always this kind of, like, really? What's that all about, man? What do you even do? Yeah. You know, there's or great mystery and interest job. to it. Yeah, it's like, well, I, I manage humans and try not to lose money. Absolutely. <laughs> sure. But, but you have to have that little P.T. Barnum aspect course, because even if the box is empty, the thought that there might be something inside of it will keep people coming to pay a quarter to look at it. Totally. totally. It was, there was a, a Simpsons episode where uh, Apu was... Uh, uh, Jasper was frozen in his uh, he went in and, and froze himself because he wanted to uh, see what the world was like later on so Apu turned the Quickie Mart into this sort of uh, museum of food oddities and uh, he had this can that had no label and they were uh, you know they were like come take a look at this can what's inside the great mystery of this <laughs> canned food because the label is gone you know? could it be olives Maybe it's hearts of palm. <laughs> so, uh, and cheese definitely has that that mystery. I like that, yeah, uh, because there is some magic in cheese. Absolutely, one hundred percent. Absolutely, yeah. Even I mean, even in like larger scale production, it just there sure. is still it's the total alchemy, alchemy is there. Yeah, yeah, it's real alchemy. Yeah, that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. I uh, uh, that is that 
that's part of the reason why I why I got into cheese. It was a, a mystery to me, and it was unfamiliar. Mm-hmm. The the eating of it, it was around me, and I'm from the country, so the smells of the farm and like poop smells, things like that. I'm totally comfortable with all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, it makes me happy to be around it, uh, which says a lot about me. Yeah. But it, there's a <clears throat> there's a little bit that I, I try to still keep for myself of those secrets. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I love gross stuff. I love it. But, yeah, you can't tell everybody everything. You don't want to freak nah. people out too much. But some people are really willing to go there with you, and I think that... That's also something. Those are the people you hire. Well, hopefully. (laughs) (laughs) But that's also, I think, that that kind of tactile connection that wouldn't translate to the television. You know, that's what's great about interactions at the counter or like when you're working with the producer, even just with other cheese people. Like there's kind of this visceral. Uh, experiential yeah. element. Uh, before we go to break, that's why uh, I wanted to ask you that as a as a distributor, uh, Patricia, you had uh, experience as, as with distribution as well. Mm-hmm. Do you find that you you work for a company that I mean, obviously, you get to interface with the product. But when I worked in distribution, I felt I lost a little bit of that which I loved, which was just to be able to put my hands on the stuff and play with it. Would you agree? For me, it was a little different um, because I was on the sales and marketing part of it, so I was touching product on a daily basis and sharing it with people. Um, But no, I I definitely have seen it uh, just from other people that I've worked with who just don't get to touch the product as often anymore and they're like I'm just looking at Excel spreadsheets all day right and, mm-hmm. and you know, some people love that some people are magicians at it um, but you know at the end of the day you still want to take home some cheese and, and have your bag smell like mine does right <laughs> yeah and your entire body and all of your clothes yeah, yeah. exactly yeah that smell uh, is very special I mean we we have to be pretty hands-on again because of well because we we want and need to be so I don't feel I don't feel that I have any any loss of like literal connection with the cheese um, and in a in a way that I that I don't know is very common I mean I never worked in cheese retail officially so when I started working for gourmet imports I mean I applied to be the secretary because nice. I only had worked in kitchen since I was 14 I have a degree in philosophy so I have no skills <laughs> Great. Other than flipping burgers. And I really That's wanted to skill. learn how to use like a fax machine and like be able to be helpful in an office environment. So once, but our shop was, our distribution was initially in the back of a shop. Sure. And so once I kind of got into it and got the bug, I kind of became the end of all questions that the retail sure. customers would have. So I got to have that experience. But we have to like touch and prod the cheese for the chefs because if we oh, if we send them yeah. something that sucks, that's it, coming back to you. They're not shy about no. their feelings. And cool. They be. Well, we're going to take a little bit of a break, and then when we come back, I'm going to talk to you about your recent trip to Europe. Cool. Stick with us. Today's program is brought to you by the Wisconsin Milk Marketing Board. Wisconsin produces the world's best cheese, period. Why? 
lush grasslands, glacial water supply, fourth-generation cheesemakers, combining old-world tradition with the new ideas and highest standards. The very best milk. What do you think of when you think of Wisconsin cheese? For me, I think cheese curds. Delicious, fresh cheese curds or deep-fried cheese curds. Cheese curds literally any way, any time, any place. I think about Andy Hatch and Upland's Cheese Company, the operation behind the Pleasant Ridge Reserve cheese that's literally America's most awarded cheese. I think of the deliciously stinky Limburger and its long-storied history. I think about Raleigh's Dumbarton Blue, a perfect blend of English-style cheddar and notes of blue. I think of Emmy Roth's Grand Cru Chirchois, which was named 2016's World Champion at the World Championship Cheese Contest. Wisconsin is like the world champion of cheese, and once you start reading the list of cheeses made in Wisconsin on their website, you can see why. The Wisconsin Milk Marketing Board is a nonprofit organization funded entirely by Wisconsin's dairy farm families. Read more at eatwisconsincheese.com. And as soon as you're done listening to this podcast, eat Wisconsin cheese. It's a no-brainer. Welcome back to Cutting the Curd. I'm here with my co-host, Patricia, and our guest, Alex Brown of Gourmet Imports in L.A. Before the break, we were chatting about California and its food culture, food TV, and a whole bunch of other interesting stuff, how we all like to play with gross foods and smells and that's why we're all here together and um in this part of the episode i'd like to talk about your recent trip to europe you were there right before you came to new york city correct yeah um i was there with uh with the owner of my company my boss and uh one of my other colleagues for a couple weeks in france and then like a little a little jaunt into switzerland fantastic what was the highlight of your trip Oh, so many. Uh, I got inducted into the Guild of Fromagers. Oh, congratulations. Which was very exciting. Um, All three of us did all at once. And uh, uh, Rodolphe uh, Lemonnier was our sponsor. Uh, It happened at his his international cheese competition, the Mondial de Fromage and Tour. Impressive. And uh, in a, in his little uh, introduction of us, he referred to us as the Three Musketeers of Cheese. Fantastic. Which stuck so intensely the rest yeah. of the time we were there. Everywhere we were, they're like, oh, look, it's this Three Musketeer. <laughs> uh, I don't know if I'm D'Artagnan or someone else, but it was pretty fun. I've been referred to as the American. Uh, the nicest thing I think I was ever referred to that I was traveling in the, in the Jura Mountains for a, for a different trip, um, they referred to me as the boy of cheese. So, <laughs> thanks, guys. <laughs> it's better than the alternative. I've been called a lot of not nice things too. So uh, the boy of cheese worked for me. That's fair. And um, you visited. Uh, you you were in uh, probably in Jacan, right? We, yeah, yeah. Went to uh, see Fromage Tremblay. Yep. Yeah. Very, very, very incredible. And I, I have to say, like, I mean, I've worked with Jacan's cheese for for thirteen years, and. Mm-hmm. I really assumed that when we walked into the plant that we were going to see all these machines. Right. No machines. No. Everything's very, very low tech. And something that we got really lucky and fortunate, um, Pascal Jacquin, the owner of the company, yep. um, he, he, gave, he gave us the tour, and he spent like two hours with us. He went really deep. Passionate. And apparently, uh, you know, at many times during their evolution and growth of the company... 
they've had the options to automate certain things, curd tumblers, things to flip the, you know, to flip the vats, all this stuff. Packaging. Everything. Yeah. Yeah. And at every juncture, they've put it to the workers and say, like, do you want these improvements? Because ultimately they're for you. And the workers keep saying, no, we want to maintain these, you know, these traditional gestures. I think they also probably don't want to get laid off by robots. Yeah, but, hell no. Uh, <laughs> no one does. <laughs> but it was pretty amazing to watch to watch that production, how like efficient and magical it was. They've gone through a lot of uh, a lot of iterations of their product and uh, they've they've had a lot of uh, of, of sort of touch and go situations their product used to all be raw yep. and it would all come in the AOC labels on it that's great stuff that was a, in the 90s that was what was available for French goat cheese and mm-hmm. Sevre Bell from the from the Loire River Valley yep. if you were talking things that were you know legal and mm-hmm. supposed to, it's supposed to be here and um, and it was great it came in and then and I lost that cheese for a while it just yeah. just wasn't there and then it came back and instead of uh, Crotin the Chavignol they crawl they called it some odd name that I don't remember and and the cheese didn't sell you, yep. which I I really found in, interesting it was a, one of my first uh, realizations of the power of uh, of naming and uh, and the AOC why it exists and the trust that people place in the names of those cheeses weirdly enough uh you know my so my boss his mom uh, who started the company she went to high school with with Pascal so she's oh, she's cool. from very very close to where the cheese is from and uh we were hanging out with um with his cousins and you know they they got some cheese from the grocery store to like have as like an aperitif and I mean, the cheese is amazing, and it was raw milk. But interestingly enough, the Celsius share wasn't AOP Celsius share from Jacquin. Right. So even in France, you where was got, it from? It was from Jacquin, but it was it had it had one of those like different names, like yep. like Ronde de Cher or something mm, like that. Right, right. Which really threw me for a loop. I was like, wait a minute, did they like put the American stuff in the case by mistake? But it was still Le Cru. Very weird. Huh. Very weird. But um, I love all of the little. I think it's harder to. I'm, I could be wrong. The only all of the Loire stuff that I've seen mm-hmm. has always been uh, hands on. Mm-hmm. You know, there's little molds. You know, it's little, little, little molds for Crotin. Yeah. So um, I think it may be. And again, I could I could be totally off base here, but I think the you know the best stuff is always going to have that hand ladled quality. Oh my God! Yeah, and we we had this. Uh you know, we saw we went to um, to Jacquin. We also went to um, Cloche d'Or. Sure. Who is a that's a company that's you know been around for a long time yeah. making goat's cheeses in the Loire Valley. And interestingly enough, you know that's kind of like there's a deep familial connection between Cloche d'Or and Rodolfo Meunier. Uh-huh. Um, but we also kind of like happened upon this uh, this uh, farmstead Cortam producer. We like went to Sancerre just to like do the tourist thing for a minute. And at one of the wine caves, they're like, oh, you should go visit this farm. Sure. And uh, these people, all they make is Crotin. All they make is raw milk, AOP, mm. Crotin de Chevignol. Those are so tasty. They sell it at four ages. The shop that they sell out of is, you know, Jason the Farm's teeny tiny. And we went there totally unannounced, which generally makes me very nervous. But they were super welcoming, super sweet. And they basically talked to us for like three hours about their process, about the feed. 
Oh my god, the cheese was so good. So did you good. bring some back? Is the question. I didn't. I didn't. You I ate it all. I ate it all. We gave some to Rodolph, and I've already uh, I've already paid uh, overweight uh, payments on two flights for packing my suitcase full of booze. <laughs> Been there. I I love that cheesemakers are amazing people. They some of them aren't. Some of them do, just don't want you around, and I totally respect that. Yeah. But some really do. They really take a lot of pride in yeah. their in their work, and it it's inspiring. Whenever you can, everybody always wants to get out of the house. They all want to travel. They want the <laughs> tourism, you know. Of course, which I, which I understand a certain level, but there's work to be done. As uh, Emily and I, uh, we we always um, we did a, a show with a. Uh, with our, our friend Jason Hines a little while ago, and it's still... We've been building off of this show. Uh, the uh, it, it sort of spawned a seminar that we helped to teach uh, for Lassa Skinner and the counterculture thing that she's doing. Cool. The tasks versus, uh, versus work. You know, tasks are all the shit you got to get done before you can start doing your work, which is to sell cheese. And... Um, and everybody wants to travel and meet these people, which is ultimately it's it's very inspiring. But I feel like you know they they skip steps sometimes to try to get there. It took me a long time before anybody let me out of the house. Agreed, agreed. And it's a it's a really rare, it is a rare thing. I mean, I don't I don't travel all the time, and and doing it is is wonderful, but it's also taxing. It is. It's a, that's work. Yeah. That people ask ask me that when I. I'm around people that aren't, which is rare. When I'm around people who aren't involved in in cheese or involved in food, they they always assume that they're like, "Oh, you have the greatest job. You must just travel all the time." I'm like, "Oh yeah, every day I'm out there. You know, I <laughs> frequent flyer. I'm in, it, which isn't true. You know, like when when I say I visited these farms, I visited these six farms. That wasn't six trips. That was like one day. Yeah. Boom. Yeah. Sixteen hours yeah. in a car in, with you know. It's much more like being. It's very similar, actually, being on tour. Like if you've ever done that in a band, where like. No, know, I've yeah, never been on tour with a rock band. It sounds. <laughs> Have you? Because I want to know about that. Not, uh, well, my uh, I tour with my band like once every other year, but it's not. It's definitely not rock music. It's much more like ritualistic dungeon music but but wow. that wow. that pattern of travel is very similar where it's like yeah you wake up you drive two hours you wake up early oh yes two or three hours to the farm you watch the process some of it's very thrilling some of it as you said is cleaning and watching a vat like turn into milk jello mm-hmm. um then more cleaning then you eat then you drive somewhere else. It's like it's all packed into one day. Sure. It's not like this like luxurious like jaunt in the field. Although there's some of that, which is great. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's all it's all good, but it's it's work. Yeah. It, My de facto response to the like, oh, you you must do you travel all the time? How often do you go to Europe? And it's funny, my de facto answer is always, yeah, I do, but not as much as I'd like to. Sure. But in reality, that's not true. I think I travel just enough. Absolutely. I think like a couple, you know, food show conference trips a year, one big producer trip. That's a lot. Yeah, it is. And there's all the work that you're not doing while you're doing that work too, mm-hmm. <laughs> which will be fun to catch up on. So you said you also, uh, you went into Switzerland for a minute. You yeah. went to Gormino. Yeah. So, uh, the Gormino people, we've worked with them, I think since they, since they began, we've always bought cool. um, our Gruyere and our Emmental from them. 
Love, love Joe. Joe's um, amazing. And we, unfortunately, Joe wasn't um, in Switzerland with us. We were hanging out with his bosses who, you know, happened to be quite nice. Um, and we got to kind of watch the life cycle of the Gruyere that we buy from Michael Speaker. That's cool. So, you know, we got up to go bring the cows in to watch the morning milking. I attempted to milk a cow and kind of failed. Uh, and then watched the full cycle of production and then visited Michael's cave and then drove to the the central affinage facility that they have in Lagnau, which was an old Emmental branch facility. Right. So more like modern cellars like going deeper and deeper into the ground like they have an elevator and then we drove to Reichenbach and visited the new cellars that they're about to open which are these converted military tunnels that are totally insane I love that I love that these fortresses that these uh, (laughs) these things that existed to to defend against being killed or to kill they've all they're being repurposed into this wonderful spot where Milk is being preserved. It's it's, it's the exact opposite mm-hmm. of it, the of the cycle. It feels very uh, very special to get to see that over and over again. And yeah, how how wonderful would it be if just more and more military facilities like sublimate into affinage? That's so cool. I would enjoy that. I want some more of that to happen in this sure. country. Let's make it happen. Okay, maybe like a decommissioned <laughs> aircraft carrier that just Ooh. floats around in the Ooh. ocean, and they can. Mature Sure, the cheese on the aircraft carrier, and then deliver it the same by by the same token. You solve like thirty problems right there. Get some oceanic terroir, some right. special brine, right? Yeah. And if we have to, if we have to quickly, uh, you know, move cheese, we can just get some helicopters and bang, you're right there. I like where this is going. Yeah, I like where this is going. So if you uh, if you come across any money, you and I can uh, you know go in together. We'll buy an aircraft carrier and have uh, mature cheese on it. Sounds perfect. One Although of those giant cargo planes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, like a DC-10, yeah. just driving pallets in. Although I don't know that any of us are ever going to come across money working in cheese, but that's okay. No, but we will be okay. We picked the better fight. We did. We picked the better fight. I'm not going to I'm not going to let you end there either. Uh, that's uh <laughs> we're going to talk a tiny bit more. Um you mentioned that you were with um with uh Rudolf in uh, in tour. You were a judge in in Mundial, right? Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we just had our CMI, a cheesemonger invitation, which is yes. awesome our like Woodstock and uh you know, of, uh, it's of rave, cheese. Yeah. It's great. It's, it's a awesome. fantastic thing. Um, you, um, what were the major differences, obviously, what you noticed in between uh, the Mondial? And I'm not talking about the, the fun aspects and the festival aspects aspects of it. What was the, di- the difference between, you know, that contest and this one? Well, I didn't get to see too much of the actual monger competition. Uh-huh. Um, but my my boss Steve he was uh, he was a judge for the monger part so I've 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 heard a lot about the process and though you know though Rudy and Adam are like brothers and definitely both like to rage in equal measure totally I feel that it's really interesting to see how like restrained and branch you know Mondial is um, the monger competition's pretty serious sure it's really serious it's very quiet. It seems very stressful, and in some ways, it's like I mean, I know the mongers that competed. Um, you know, they're they're doing such a good job to like let their personalities like break right. through the ice of like you know of uh, of assessment. Um, but th- that's a big difference, I think, is that the 
the procedural elements of it are much less like joyous and like vibrant and it's a little bit more a little bit more intense do you think it has anything to do with the cultures involved i mean there are people from japan competing of course and it is international i mean i think that probably everybody would want to have a little bit more fun for Dolph. but i mean it it is there is a level of kind of i think it it mirrors the type, the types of competitions that already exist in France. I mean, like the one, like the the, the Mayor Ouvrier de France competition, which right. Rodolf won. Um, those are really serious to the French people. It's like the Congressional Medal of Honor if you're mm-hmm. an MOF, which is great, which is awesome. But but yeah. so what are, when you, when you say it's a, there's there's elements of of cheesemongery that. Are that cross all boundaries? Of course, you have to be able to handle the product. Yes, whether you're in, at the CMI or Mondial or the big, or the big, big, big one. Yep that uh, that Rudolph uh, that he won. I just wonder why why it has to be stressful. I I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. It's just I it's think, more formal. And and I think it um, has a lot to do with uh, educating the world about a certain market of cheese. So mm-hmm. the people from Japan are like, hey guys, we're here, we're competing, we take this seriously, we love cheese, and we know about cheese, come buy cheese in Japan. Okay. So I, that's, that's my sure. little token from that. I think it's also the culture of the people that are doing the work. So if you look at like some of the people, not to say that like, you know, the people from the Netherlands or the people from Japan even that are competing at Mondial don't like to party because they do. Everybody likes to party. Everybody likes to party. <laughs> the more serious you look on the outside, the more insane you are when you cut loose. That's mm-hmm. my theory. Absolutely. Yeah. The twinkle in your eyes shines a right. little bit brighter. But I will say, and, and you know, maybe maybe I'm off here, but it seems like there's just much more of a like, there's already much more of a counterculture, and I don't mean that in 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 the terms of you know, totally. the cheese groups that we're talking about, but actual counterculture. There's more of a vein in that in American cheesemongery, I think, than in these other countries. And so the people that are you know we're committing our lives to this, they tend to be a little bit more, I don't know, a little bit more exciting in that way. Well, I don't. My only issue ever, people seem to think, or maybe this is in my head. I mean, that's what motivates me sometimes. I have that that chip on my shoulder because I've done this for a long time and I'm used to dealing with people. And it's less so than it was, say, in like the mid-90s. Right. But people are like, oh, you're an American and you do this? Like, you just must be full of shit. You couldn't possibly understand what it is to be this. And I don't think that that's the case at all. I think that Americans are, that we are also serious about what we choose to line up behind very much so. We have a lot of pride as a nation and our our citizens are encouraged to be prideful of of what they do. So it's just, I think that the perception is, uh, is sometimes off. But I also think that everybody can use a little bit more Enjoyment, you know the the French. Right. I love the French. Uh, you know, I'm a I'm a I have a lot of exis- existentialist crises in my life. There are many times when I wake up and I'm like, you know, why am I even getting out of bed? You know, there's no, you know, if if nothing means anything, then shit, I'm I'm gonna go work pantsless today, you know, <laughs> or something, you know, something like that. Mm-hmm. But uh, but I think I think that we bring an interesting element to the table. Totally. Of, of our passion. 
Well, and I think there there is like I mean you know not to make it about about time or age or anything, but there is like for lack of a better term a youthfulness that I think yes. the American scene brings to yeah. the cheese community, both in terms of production and in terms of in terms of monger in these competitions. And I think right. in this in this way, it's like maybe maybe it's important. Maybe it really is essential, frankly, that like you know Rodolphe's event, which is truly amazing, um, and it, it's coordinating basically a cheese only food show um, focused on independent producers as much as possible. I think the entries have grown from like 100 to 600 or 100 to 300. Amazing. Wow. Um, also the cheese competition. So all the producers like at ACS are submitting cheese to be judged. Mm. And I got to do that, which was cool. Yeah. And this monger competition. So it's this crazy hat trick of work. And maybe it's essential that it has a little bit more of this like it's a little bit more highfalutin and intense. The stakes might be a little bit higher. But CMI stakes are high as shit, too. And it's, yes, they it's are. also essential that it be this, like, joyous, raucous, like, thing. Because, well, I mean, I think that that also speaks to to who Adam is and what he wants to sort of imbue everybody's eyes with cheese. You know, not yeah. only the people that are in the community, the people that aren't in the community, so that yeah. they're excited about it, but... I mean, both both events are, are magical, and if you ever have a chance to get to tour, highly recommend it. Definitely. I'll put it on my list. Well, I want to thank you so much for your time today, Alex, coming on in and just, uh, you know, spending a little time with us in the shipping containers in Bushwick. And uh, Patricia, you know, thanks for coming uh, out of the office yeah, and hanging out with us. Yeah, for having me. This has been so much fun. Cool. Well, stay tuned for more Cutting the Curd, and... Uh, Have yourselves a lovely day. Ciao, ciao. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.